Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us as we kick off. I know you've already kicked off 2019, but we're kicking off with a brand new series this morning entitled, I Wasn't Prepared for This. As one of the most horrible statements that a pastor can hear, maybe a parent can hear, and you've heard it from other people that are going through crisis, something they didn't see happen, and they are blindsided by it. Or it's just the next chapter of life, and it's so much bigger, more challenging, more complicated than they ever dreamed, and they just were not prepared for it. We're going to talk about how do you prepare for whatever is about to come next. And over these next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be unpacking that a little bit more, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I want to talk to you for just a minute about what is next for you, because some of you know what's next. Some of you have no idea what's next, but some of you can see, I can see it coming. It's not quite here yet. It may even be a year or two out, six months out, but it's coming. For some of you, what's next is maybe graduation, either from high school or college, and it's a whole new day. It's a whole new beginning for you. Maybe the next thing for you is college uh, or going back to school. And that's, uh, that's a whole new chapter. That's, that's a whole new set of complications and, and challenges. Maybe it's getting out of school, and now you're going to get married. You're going from single people to married people, and that is a huge, big transition. It is a big next for you. And maybe it's going from being a couple to a couple with a baby. Now you're going from two to three, and you've got this little child you're going to be taking care of. Say, say goodbye to all your sleep, okay? Because that's typically what happens. Or maybe it's not just a baby, it's another baby. And another baby can mean a lot of different things, depending on how many babies you already have, right? Uh, We learned that going from one to two is different than going from two to three. Now we're outnumbered. And three plus, I mean, it's just you're managing chaos, it feels like sometimes, right? You love them like crazy, but it's a very different set of skills that are needed to be able to handle more and more life. And maybe it is that those kids are getting older, and for you, it's not so much having another baby, you're kind of beyond that chapter. Maybe it's your babies are starting school, elementary school, junior high. Those of you who've been through the junior high years, it's different than elementary, big time. And then once you get up to the HS, the high school, whoo, that's different than junior high, isn't it? Middle school is nothing. That didn't prepare you for what was coming in high school. And then they graduate and you can't seem to stop crying sometimes because they're, they're leaving all of a sudden. And uh, it's, a, it's just a whole different chapter. And we, we have these things out in front of us. And maybe for you, the next chapter or the next thing is a new job. Uh, or you can tell a new job is coming because the job you're at is winding down or you're just tired. I don't know how much longer I can do this kind of a feeling. And you're, you're getting ready for that transition. Maybe it's a new school. Maybe it's an empty nest. It hadn't happened yet, but you can tell in a few years all these kids are going to be up and out of the house and it's just going to be me or just going to be us. And now we're going to have to figure out how to be interesting uh, and, and take up the slack, you know, <laughs> for all these kids, all these activities. And now it's going to be just quieter around here. We got to do something different. It's going to be a new chapter, different 
time. And then maybe it's retirement. You're not there yet, but you can tell it's coming and you need to prepare for it financially. You need to prepare for it time-wise. You need to prepare. There's lots of preparation required. And whatever that next thing is for you guys, there's a big difference between being prepared and not being prepared. And you know the difference because you've approached things in your life where you felt like, okay, I feel really prepared. And you were able to handle it as someone prepared. And other times where you get blindsided, you had no preparation. And when new things come, new chapters, whatever's next for us comes, there's usually two emotions that we all feel. The first one is excitement because all these new things bring new relationships, new people, new opportunities, new beginnings. All the new is fun and exciting to a degree. And with the new and exciting comes stressful and a little terrifying. You know what I mean? It's, and, and the reason that you feel stressed over the next thing is because next implies a transition. And, and the transition implies change. And change almost always, without exception, brings stress. I truly believe the only people in this world that like change are babies with dirty diapers, okay? They embrace and look forward to change. The rest of us like, no, thank you. I'm not really wanting a whole lot of change. Even those of us who think we really want change, once you get up in the middle of it, you realize this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And so we're going to talk about this question over the next couple of weeks. Are there things that we can do now to prepare us for what's next? What is it that we can do today, right now? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, today we're going to talk about how to get started in this process. Next week, we're going to talk about, you know those moments that you have where you say, I wish I had known then what I know now. In other words, you have knowledge, you have wisdom, you have something now that you did not have then. How do you avoid those kind of moments going forward? We're going to talk about how to address that and how to get that information when you need it. And what does God say about that? The other thing we're going to talk about is the next week is we're going to talk about how to pray forward, how to pray ahead, how to leverage one of the most powerful and, and amazing tools that God gave us as people, the power of prayer. And, and many of us aren't real sure exactly how to use that sometimes. We're going to talk about how to begin to leverage it for yourself, for your spouse, your kids, your friends, people around you. Uh, we're going to talk about how to use that uh, in week three. So this week, as we get started, I want to start by talking about a couple of misconceptions about what's next. Things that tend to kind of mess us up, that get us sidetracked, get us a little off the track sometimes. And here's the first one, is that many times people believe that just because they're going into a new season, it automatically, magically is going to make them a new guy or a new girl, a new man, a new woman, because it's a brand new chapter. But the reality is, this is the truth, that a new season doesn't mean a new you. Another way it's been said is that a new view and a new do don't make a new you, you know? You've heard it said that... Wherever you go in this life, there you are. It's so true. You go with you in every season and area of life, every challenge, every job, every relationship, every new thing that comes your way, you take you with you. 
You take your spending habits, you take your relationship habits, you take your morals and ethics, you take your strengths and weaknesses, you take all of that with you wherever you go. You're not magically going to just change because the season of life changed. And so we're going to talk about how do we prepare for those new seasons? Because if we do nothing, you will do pretty much what you're doing now in this season. We, we sometimes think, well, yeah, I'm doing this now. But when I get up and out of school, or when I get my first job, or when I get married, I'm going to straighten up and fly right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave myself. I'm going to become a good girl, good boy. I'm going to do the right things. And, I'm gonna, and I've heard this over and over, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work like that. You will not magically all of a sudden get morality and get uh, integrity where you have not been preparing for it. It just doesn't work like that. It's a misconception. The other one is this. Just because you know what's next, many times people think, I'm prepared for what's next. Knowing what's next doesn't mean you're prepared for what's next. Knowing what's next in no way has is, is gotten you ready. In other words, it's a different set of skills, just like knowing the right thing to do and having the willpower, the courage to do the right thing. Those are radically different things. We see it even in marriage. Statistically speaking, there are a lot of people in this world, in this country in particular, that are eager, excited young and ready to go to walk an aisle and, and to say, I do, to a set of vows to another person, right? But let's say there's this many people willing to say the I do's. There's about this many that actually can do the I do's. It's a different set of skills. People who have somehow prepared it differently than these people. Somehow they have gotten ready in a way that has gotten them ready to prepared to actually execute what was about to happen next. So let's talk about how do you do that in your life, no matter what's going to happen next? It doesn't matter. Now, to, to, to go forward with this conversation, I want to bring in James from the New Testament. We are so blessed to have this book of James in the New Testament. And here's, I'm going to tell you why. This document that James wrote down for us, because James was the brother of Jesus. And some of you might not have known that. James is the brother of Jesus. Now, here's why that's so significant. James still to this day, I believe, is one of the most powerful uh, apologetic or evidences for the fact that Jesus was and is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, the resurrected Son of the living God, of almost anything that we have. That it is a documented historical fact that he resurrected, yes. But James, think about it for just a second. You could convince a lot of people, if you really wanted to, that you're the Messiah. There, there are people out there that are crazy enough they would believe that, right? Out there on the fringes of your life, maybe, just maybe, you could, you could trick them into believing that you're the Messiah. But think about how difficult, how complicated, how tough it would be to convince your own brother your own sister, that you are the Messiah. Yeah, sure, you're the Messiah. They'd say, I seen your dirty underwear on the floor last week. You're not the Messiah. Messiah needs to clean up his room. That's what the Messiah needs to do, okay? They would not buy it. And even a lot of biblical historians would say that James thought his brother was crazy until he resurrected from the dead. Most of his public ministry, James was not a follower. 
until he had seen, he witnessed, here's his brother, brutally executed publicly, dead, no heartbeat, gone, bleeding to death on the cross, body taken down, stuck in a tomb, three days. And then James sees him up walking around, looking better than he ever has, completely healed, restored, replenished, glorified body. And he not only says, I'm going to follow you, but he accepts, get this, his brother as his Lord and Savior. What would it take for your brother or sister to accept you as Lord and Savior? It would take an awful lot, I would think. An amazing witnessing of a miracle they could never explain. And it, it, it had to be so convincing and amazing. And not just them, but it was thousands and thousands of other people that witnessed the same thing. So this is the guy that's going to write what we're about to read. And here's what I'd like to do. I want to start with verse 25 of chapter 1 of James. And this is really where we're going to end today because I want you to see the promise that's waiting for us at the end. If we're willing to do what James is proposing, he says, if you will prepare for whatever is coming next for you in your life, if you'll prepare this way, here's the promise for you. The promise is you will be blessed in what you do. You will be blessed in what you do. So let's back up the tape. All right, back up to verse 22. All right, you ready? We're going to look at verse 20. What does he say that is so critical that we need to do to prepare for what's next for 2019? What's the best way to approach and to prepare for this year? Here's what he says. He says, do not merely, let's read this highlighted word together. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Now, let me unpack a little bit what he's saying. In the first century, people that James is writing to, they didn't have copies of the Bible as we know it today. The, the Bible wasn't canonized yet. It wasn't all put together yet. So if they wanted to hear the Bible, they wanted to hear eyewitness testimony of what Jesus taught, did, said, they had to come together like we've done today and have somebody read it. There was only a few fragments, documents around, and so they would read it aloud, and this is where they would listen to the Word. They would come together and they would hear it. Now, it's, here's the interesting part. Is that in the first century, they had a misconception about what it meant to let God's word, his truth, be a part of their life, just like we do in the 21st century. And here's what I mean by that. We tend to give ourselves credit for just being in the room and hearing this stuff, right? Well, I go to church. I heard it. I, I was there. I've been there. Or I read that book. I went to that conference. I've heard that person. I've heard. I got it. I'm done. I'm good. I heard it. I got the information. And, and James would say, if that's all that you have done, you missed the point. But, but, but James, I came to church, man, and the, the worship made me cry, and I was so convicted. I like, mm, oh, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, and I took lots of notes, and I went home, and I showed it to my mama. Look, mama went to church. I took notes. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's good. But James would say, that's still, that's all that's great. It's not the point. That's not the point of why you're even in the room. That's not the point of why you're hearing this stuff. Well, James, what is the point? He says the point is to do what it says. To do what it says. He's saying to us the most powerful, successful habit you could possibly adopt into your life going into this year to prepare for what's next, whatever's about to happen next for you, is to begin to apply God's truth, his wisdom to your life like never before. 
Be open to it. Every sermon you hear, every Bible study you go to, small group that you go to, every time you open it on your own, in your own time, for your own devotional time, to ask the question, God, how do you want me to apply this to my life? This is never given just for information. It is given for application. It is made for you to apply to your life. Don't ever miss that. Because for far too many people, they have confused what spiritual depth is. Well, this is just not deep enough. And sometimes what they mean is that the information isn't challenging enough or confusing enough. There's not enough Greek and Hebrew original language thrown in to make me feel like it's really complicated and academic. But the reality is, well, James, and later we're going to see Jesus saying, spiritual depth comes from the doing, not from the knowing let me ask you this. What is easier to study about and memorize and to be able to regurgitate lots of information about how to love somebody biblically or to actually go out and love hard to love people? Is it the knowing or the doing? You tell me. Which one? The doing. Thank you. This is not a trick question. You already know the answer to this. This is simply what James is pointing out. He's saying it is in the doing this is the thing. And if there's any place that this world, the outside world that does not believe, criticizes us as followers of Jesus, criticizes the church, it's where we're not doing it. We proclaim it. We even point it out in other people. Well, you're not doing it, right? But they'll come back to say, hypocrite, you're not living it. You're not loving like him. You're not. And many times they're right. And it's the place where he says we ought to start not omit going forward. And so here's what he says. He says, don't do what it says. So anyone who listens to the word but does not, let's say it together, but does not do what it says, and now James is going to give us quite possibly, arguably, one of the best illustrations in all of the New Testament. Beautiful. It's really fun. He says, it's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, get this, just imagine this for a minute, looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He goes, looks in the mirror. She goes, looks in the mirror, and they walk away. Somebody who sees something a little off, they need to address, and they walk away, and they do nothing. And they try to forget all about it like they never saw it. That's nothing any of us would ever do, right? When you look into a mirror, it demands a response. A mirror requires a response. Isn't that true? I mean, you guys look great today, sitting in this room today, but I bet you didn't hashtag woke up like this, right? <laughs> Me either. Took a lot of work to be this ugly. All right, yeah, like, it, it takes time to get ready. And as a matter of fact, consequently, I know exactly how much time every single one of you spends in front of the mirror every day. You know how long? Until it gets better, all right? Yeah. <laughs> We, we, we work on it, work on it. It's funny. And then we'll change. And then sometimes some of us have mirrors like right by the door. You're about to go out and you go, oop, not quite there yet. I'm going to go change this blouse, this shirt, this tie, this whatever. And we try again. Even if it means we're going to be a little bit late, we would rather address what we see in the mirror. In other words, there is a sense of conviction that comes from looking in a mirror. Tomorrow morning when you get up to get ready, you'll look in the mirror and you'll go, "Woo, all right. I got a little bit of work to do here. This is a hat day, or this is, we're going to pull it back. We need to pull a little makeup on. We need to do this or that or whatever, trim, get stuff ready. You know, it's just like this little wild and woolly. I need to get ready to present myself because here's the thing that's interesting about mirrors. 
in the real world, we get no credit for just looking in the mirror. Imagine for a moment, you go into work, but you got up that morning, looked in the mirror, did nothing, and just went to work, right? You go into work. What would your boss say? He or she would come up to you and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go talk to any clients or customers, you need to go do something about all of this right here, all right? And you may come back and say, well, boss, I looked in the mirror, and they would be like, well, you should have done something about it, okay? Because you didn't, you got convicted, but you did no response. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, you don't get credit just for looking in the mirror. You don't get credit for just looking and go, ooh, yeah, that really ought to change in me. Wow, that really ought to be different. I really shouldn't treat people like that, talk like that, act like that. I really ought to be more generous. I really ought to love better. I really ought to forgive. I really ought to, and then do nothing to put in the hard work to address it. It's interesting because what we tend to do is we tend to see something in us and we do nothing. We tend to see something, but we do nothing. And this is not just true for the spiritual aspect of our life. For most of us, as we start a new year, one of our New Year's resolutions for many of us in this room has something to do with fitness and exercise. Isn't that true? But let me just see if this isn't true for you. Isn't it true that you know way more about fitness and exercise than you actually apply to your life? How many of you would like to be honest enough to say, yeah, that's me. Okay, wow, you're really honest. Thank you. I appreciate all that. Me too. Most of us know way more. We're way more. This is probably this generation more educated about how this body works and how to take care of it than almost any other generation in the past. We ought to be healthier. We ought to all look like the cover of Men's Health magazine, you know, but we don't. Why? Because we're not doing what we know. It's so simple, but James is saying this one principle could radically, I mean, it's a game changer, change your life, change your relationship, change your future radically if you would just start doing the truth that you already know, that God has already put in your life, that you already know you ought to be doing. And this is what James goes on to say in verse 25. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And this word intently literally means to stop to stoop down and to examine closely something, to look deeply into the mirror, to really look closely at your behavior, to open up the perfect law and compare my behavior to what God says, my behavior to God. Where are things a little off? And where does the adjustment needs to happen in me? And to be honest enough, brutally honest enough to admit it and to work on it. And maybe even ask somebody else to hold you accountable to doing it. Man, like if you really want to get it done, that's a whole nother level of motivation to work on things. When you have somebody else saying, hey, didn't you say you wanted to work on this one thing that you keep not working on? Yeah, I love you enough to not let you just blow that off. You need to work on it. And, and to keep working on it, to, to, to let yourself continue to come back to it. It's so powerful. But I love the fact that he says this is perfect law, the perfect law referring to the law that Jesus gave. And Jesus did this amazing thing for us. He took this 640 plus laws that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, said everybody's got to keep all 641 or two of these laws. And he boils it down to two, really. He says, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then 
Some biblical commentators would say, and he even took those and summarized them down to one. Right before the crucifixion, in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Judas Iscariot had just betrayed him. He just took off out the door. He just left. So he just has his disciples there. And he says, there's this new command I want to give you. This command is to love one another as I have loved you. This is your standard. This is your mirror. By this, all people, all ethnos is the word, ethnicities, people groups, nationalities, all people will know you are my disciple, my pupil, my learner, my follower, if you love one another as I have loved you. To love God and to love one another as Jesus has loved us, there is your mirror. And most commentators would say the rest of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul and other writers sort of taking that one law and showing all of the imperatives, how to live out the command of that in every area, your marriage, your work, with your kids, with every aspect, with your finances, all areas of life. How do we live this out? What does it look like? What is the practical way to apply this every single day? And that's what the rest of the New Testament does for us. And when we do that, he tells us it's perfect law gives freedom. It gives liberty to your life. Now, I want to tell you something. that The perfect law does not start off feeling like freedom or liberty. Many times it starts off feeling like restriction, and then it becomes freedom later. Let me give you a couple examples that I mean. First, I'm going to start with way back when I was a kid, when I first started earning money. My dad pulled me aside and taught me this principle. And he said, listen, well, you need to learn how to give a percentage of your money give it away to the things of God, to save a percentage and live on the rest. And if you start that now, you start this discipline now, it'll be easier later. Because the tendency is, is that everybody in this country, they, they live on everything they make. They consume every dime that they make. And when you do that, there's no margin to be generous, and there's no margin to save for the future, to prepare for the future. There was something I started early on. I was not good with money. I was not smart. I was not a financial genius. I just took a very simple principle from God's Word, from the Bible, that my dad taught me, and I started implementing it. And on the front end, can I be honest with you? It didn't feel like freedom. It felt like I'm giving away the hard-earned money that I had worked for, right? It felt like, what am I doing giving this money away? This is, this is silly. Like I should be spending this on me because I worked for it. But what I found is that over time, it does bring freedom. It brings financial freedom. Leslie and I have seen such blessing after doing this for 25 years, setting aside a 10%, saving a percentage, and living on the rest, being able to give to God to save and live on the rest. It has brought not only financial freedom to our life, but and I'm not bragging about it. This is simply something anybody could do. Anybody, you could do it. Anybody could do it. It just takes discipline to do it. Not just, and this happened for me, not for, because I heard my dad talk about it, it's because I did what my dad asked me to do. And what's powerful about this is that we personally have done this as a church, individually, and we have done it corporately, like all together. And what's amazing is that as we have done this, it has brought freedom, not only to us, but also to so many others. To date, we have seen roughly over, a little over five 
thousand people say yes to Jesus and become free from sin and to become children of God, followers of Jesus Christ, because people in this church have been willing to adopt this idea that is radically different than the rest of the world lives. But it is so powerful to give freedom. I want to encourage you today to consider that this year, to prepare for the future. The next one is the area of forgiveness. And it can be so hard to forgive, especially those who have hurt you, who have intimately abused you with their words, with their, with their phys- physical bodies. Maybe it's sexual abuse. And you're trying to get over that or something they did to your child or somebody that you love. It's so brutally hard to forgive people. I get it. It's hard. It is so difficult. But... If we're willing to do the hard work of saying, God, I'm going to release these people to you. They no longer owe me anymore. This is what I've seen happen in my life and so many other people's. Those people that have made you a victim in the past, they no longer can make you a victim. You are not a victim to their sin, their crime they committed against you. You're free from that. You've forgiven. And there is such freedom. There's such liberty. There's such a release that there's like a weight that gets lifted off of you to say, I forgive them. And on the front end, it feels like you're just letting the guilty party go. You're just letting the releasing them from accountability. But really what you're doing is you're releasing yourself from the bondage that comes from unforgiveness and the jadedness and cynicalness and the hard-heartedness that comes to you by not being forgiven, forgiving towards other people. And it's not something that you can just listen to and study about. You have to do it to get the benefit, the freedom. Finally, sexual purity. Sexual purity was something that, again, taught when I was early on. And sexual purity, I have learned, and so many others would tell you the same thing, that it is the pathway to sexual intimacy. True intimacy comes from sexual purity. Now, if I'm being honest, when you're a young person on the front end and somebody sells you on sexual purity, you're like, this doesn't feel like freedom. This feels like I'm giving up all the fun right now, right? Everybody else is having fun. I'm not having fun. And uh, yeah, this is going to make for a lot of really boring dates, okay? But I'm telling you right now, this is what I've learned, and God teaches this over and over, that it is exclusivity, not many experiences that paved the way to and fuels the, the fire of romance in your marriage. It's exclusivity. It's learning how to be committed to and loving one person. It's hard. That's not easy, but it is such a powerful, freedom-giving, liberty-giving pay off to do that in a way that honors God and to love that other person as Christ loved you. It's amazing what it does. And when we learn to do these things in this season of life, it goes with us into every successive season into the future. And here's the promise that James gives to us in verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they have heard, But doing it, and here's the promise, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. This word blessed literally means fulfilled, happy. You want to be fulfilled and happy as a human being? James is saying, let me give you the key that unlocks the door. Begin to apply and do what God says. You will be blessed. You personally, in the middle of this, you will be blessed 
It doesn't mean that everything that you put your hand to, it'll be the Midas touch, like everything's going to blow up. You can do no wrong. You'll be a home run hit. Every business you try to start is going to be amazing. But you, through all of that, whether it goes up or down, whatever, you will be blessed. You will come closer to God. You will become wiser, and he will show you amazing things through all of it. He will bless you. In other words, the habit of doing makes you happy. Learning to be a doer now makes you a doer later. Simply listening and not doing sets you up for failure for later. One of the greatest principles I was taught growing up is, is simply this. Obey God and leave the consequences with Him. Obey God. And you don't even have to fully understand what He says to obey. I, I was taught to submit and apply and then you'll know why. Submit and apply God's Word. You don't even have to fully understand it. And you can benefit and be blessed from it. Leave the consequences with him. It's amazing. I don't know where I would be in this life if I had been a hearer only. As a matter of fact, my greatest regrets of my life have been consequences of being a hearer and not a doer. Aren't yours? The times you knew better, you had heard better. Somebody warned you against, don't get with that person. Don't do that. Don't buy into that deal. Don't buy. That's a stupid idea. <laughs> they were trying to warn you. But you did it anyway. And you look back and say, oh, I wish I'd have listened. I wish I would have listened. And I wish I would have trusted. Jesus said it this way. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, immovable, unchanging. And the storms of life come, Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, and they beat against that house, and it will not fall because it's been made on this rock. A metaphor of hearing and doing what Jesus said. And here's a couple of questions I want to ask you to consider today as we close out. First one, are you, what are you doing now that you shouldn't do? What do you see in the mirror right now that you go, okay, this ought to be addressed. But you, you, you convince yourself, but you know what, I'm going to wait. Because in the next chapter of life, whatever, the next season of life, I'll, I'll do it then. I'll fix this then. I'll get more mature. I'll, I'll, do, it, I'll do right by the, the next person I'm with. I'm going to do it then. Here's the next question. What are you not doing now that you should do? You, you look and you say, okay, I, I need to be doing this. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait till the next season. And if you are believing this, if you are living like that, can I just use the words of James for a second and say, you are deceived. You're believing a lie. It's false. It won't turn out like you think it's going to. You will be heartbroken and people around you will get hurt too. Don't believe that lie. Jesus says the, the house will collapse in on you. And you've seen that happen to people, haven't you? Their lives fall apart. Maybe it's happened to you before because of the foundation that you built on or the lack thereof. Today, I want to challenge you to ask the question, what do you need to do or stop doing today? Here's the prayer of application I'm asking you to pray with me. It's simply saying, Jesus, show me the truth that I've heard but I'm not doing. I commit today to be a doer, not just a hearer, of your word. I'm, I'm ready, God. This is the new year. It's a new chapter. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. This is the time. I'm going to do it. I've been putting it off, and it's time. 
It's way maybe past time, but I'm going to start now to do this stuff. And I want to ask you right now, in this moment of prayer together, would you be willing to commit to put into practice the wisdom of God that maybe you already know? Just like fitness and exercise, we tend to know more than we're applying. Where do I need to start, God, loving other people like you love me? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.